All right. Okay. Good morning. Welcome. It is um, Monday, March 1st, actually. So, wow, February flew by. Um, anyways, I just, um, I was doing a weekly podcast and then I got away from the weekly podcast because I'm a visual artist and even though I talk like crazy when I am teaching and sharing and feeding off of audiences and all that kind of stuff, um, a podcast is a little challenging for me. So I kind of took a break and reassessed and just want to get back and be um, more candid. And even though I had, I was, I'm pretty candid all the time, but just some ideas. And this morning I thought was a great time to talk about museums. Um, my daughter, Renee, who is in college, just had me complete a questionnaire about, or an interview actually, about my involvement with um, Pulp Museum of Art here in Lakeland. And it got me thinking about my involvement with museums all throughout my life. And I thought that that would be fun to share because even though we're in COVID times, there's there are great opportunities to be involved with museums and actually go through virtual tours that we did not have those opportunities beforehand. So first I wanna go ahead and give a plug that you can go to rochelleeason.com and find out more about what I do and what I teach. I do a live weekly class every Monday night and every Tuesday night, it's the same class, it's art journaling. And I've taught art journaling um, for over 25 years before it was even called art journaling. We were doing art journaling in my classes. So um, that's a great class to be part of. If you can't join us live at 6 p.m. Eastern on Mondays or Tuesday nights, I have other classes that you could do that are video classes. There's art journaling archives. And then there's also some art classes like the elements of art is on there. I have, um, I have an exploration that is called ice cream and coffee beans, which is lots of fun. And I have all kinds of other things besides, um, of course, some pottery and some plant stained papers, boiled books are on there as well. So anyways, visit RochelleEason.com. Like me on Instagram, Rochelle underscore Eason underscore artist. And you can find me on YouTube. There's lots of free video classes and other good stuff on YouTube, as well as, of course, here and Rochelle Eason artist on Facebook. So let's go ahead and talk about museums. So um, I would also love for you to write any questions or comments down um, in the little box if you are with me. I know it is a Monday morning and I know that usually this gets played more on replay than um, the live version, but I would love to, to love to hear from any of you if you are here live. And even if you comment afterwards, um, I will try to respond via the comments as well. So I started out my art career in a museum and I was the ripe old age of four. So I was very fortunate that I got to um, be, I got to take art classes at the Carnegie Museum of Pittsburgh. And the first thing that I remember about those art classes, they were Saturday mornings before the museum opened and we got to walk through those halls of the museum that are that were just nobody was there it was amazing to me because every time i had been to the museum before it was packed with people but we got to walk past the huge dinosaurs in the natural history part and walk to the um second story where all the classrooms were and i just thought that that was amazing that we got to get up close and personal to these 
to these dinosaurs and to these other other exhibits that were in the natural history part of the museum. And then we did get to go through, we took our sketchbooks and got to sit and hang out in a lot of the galleries and sketch the masters and, and talk about, you know, what, what we thought the, the art was about. And of course, I'm talking about not just at age four, but all the way through up. I took art classes there for many, many years. When I was four though, I was very fortunate to be a guinea pig for a college student who was doing an internship there. And um, Carnegie Museum of Pittsburgh is right near the campus of Pitt. And she was an art student and she was doing, she was doing the wheel and, and coming up with classes. I guess she was going to be an art teacher at that point. Of course, I don't remember very much about what her thing was. I just remember what my thing was. And what I got to do was go on the wheel, the pottery wheel, which it was kind of unheard of for children of that age to go on the pottery wheel. But this, this great, fabulous intern student was exploring and writing some um, observations and all that. And so I got to play on the pottery wheel and little did, did she know that she really kind of changed my life forever. She put a bug into my head that playing in the mud with a motorized wheel was kind of my thing and that I, I loved it. And then I was very fortunate to continue my art studies in, um, in the school that I went to, which was Ellis School in Pittsburgh as well, that was very much um, highlighted the arts as a, as a way to teach all kinds of skills and disciplines, not just art, but English and science and math and everything else. And so I got to do that. So my combination of going to Ellis and of my art classes at the museum really instilled in me this love for museums, especially because we got to go on so many field trips. Um, I got to volunteer at a young age and that kind of thing. So fast forward to today, when one of the questions on this interview was about why do you think museums are valuable learning experiences? And, you know, during the time of COVID right now, I think museums can offer us an escape. If you go and Google different museums just in little in locations. You can Google museums by the names of them if you know them, Smithsonian and Modern Museum of Art and the Louvre and, and everywhere else that you can think of. But you can also Google from a town. Maybe you want to go to Morocco and see if there's a museum there. And, um, you know, a lot of these museums obviously depend on their patrons coming in person. And during the times of COVID, they, they can't. So a lot of these museums have been very creative and coming up with virtual tours and virtual um, events that you can be part of. And so I can speak specifically to a few of them, but Pope Museum of Art is our little museum here in Lakeland. And I say little because, and it's not really that little, it's just a, it's, it's a great size for our size of, a, of our city. And we're very fortunate that Pope Museum of Art is a Smithsonian affiliate. So we get lots of um, exhibits that come through from the Smithsonian. But I know Pope Museum of Art for one has done virtual classes. And I was a teacher of uh, a couple this past summer for the student camps, but they also, and they're doing some virtual classes now, but they also do virtual talks on Zoom, and I believe this week, actually, on, um, I want to say on Thursday, it's on here, I just pulled this up, 
Uh, there is a talk about celebrating women. Yes, it's Thursday, March 4th at 6 p.m. And it's pulpmuseumofart.org. And it is about 10 women artists that you should know since March is Women's History Month. And um, you can just join in. There's a chat going on with uh, the director of the museum, as well as two of my colleagues that are um, professors at the Florida Southern College in the art department. And then also our fabulous administrative assistant who has um, an art degree and art background as well. But you can go in and it's not just Pulp Museum of Art doing these, these, these talks and these virtual events, but there's a lot of museums across the world that are doing virtual tours. And I, you know, I, I pulled up one for the Louvre and they're still closed because of COVID, but you can actually go to louvre.fr, I believe it is. And I just did a Google search for the Louvre and they have online tours. And I just thought it was really interesting as far as which ones that they have. One of the ones that I went into is called Founding Myths. It's from Hercules to Darth Vader. I thought that was pretty cool. And it's a walking, walking tour, virtual tour, that takes you into these different segments of the exhibit. And they have little information boxes that you can go ahead and click on and um, find out more about them. But there's also tours that are, are live or are strolling tours. So people walking through and guiding you and talking to you and all of that. And there, there is a difference, of course, between virtual and in-person. I think in-person allows us to, to stand and visit with a piece, really engage with a piece and feel like we can pause and look at it. We can look at the texture of it, the dimension of it the, um, you know, the strokes of it. And in fact, I, I took our daughters to the Dolly Museum a couple weeks ago. We went to see the Van Gogh Alive exhibit, which is amazing. If you have an opportunity to go see that, it is traveling around the United States, I believe for the next year and a half, possibly. The Dolly Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida here was the first, um, the in St. Pete was the first was the first location in the U.S. to have um, to have the the Van Gogh Alive exhibit in it, and it was just it, it. If you don't know anything about the Van Gogh Alive exhibit, and I know I'm getting off track, but go ahead and um, Google that as well because it's a it's an engaging digital kind of um, explosion of Van Gogh's paintings where they come to life on these gigantic walls and they have movement to them. So you actually feel like you're engaged with them. And, and that's actually one of the things that um, I was really, I'm really loving about these virtual tours as well because I'm feeling engaged. But I was talking about going to the Dolly and my daughter Renee was looking at one of Dolly's three-dimensional pieces that actually had sand and, and rock and some other things in it. And she got to go up real close and personal. I mean, face almost to the glass, look at it from all the sides and see how it was put in there. And, you know, I, I was watching her more than I, than I was looking at the piece. I had seen the piece, you know, several times before and all our visits, but um, I really felt like I learned so much just by her going up that closely and looking at it from all angles. And of course, we can't do that in a virtual way. 
um, unless we can zoom in and and do some of these angled these angled bits of uh, view. They have these 360 view view master type things that we can do. But I found myself really encouraged that um, she at at 22 was interested was still interested in art. First of all, of course, all of our children, all four of our children, were brought up in this this art world, this art mecca, if you will, that we had, a, we owned an art studio and we went to um, cultural ex exhibitions all the time. And we went to the museums and we homeschooled. So everything, almost everything really came from this art base. But, you know, her age is always busy. Of course, we're all always busy, but her age group is really um, so, so tuned into electronics and everything being digital. And I found it very, very um, refreshing to me to be able to see her enjoy and still be curious. That's the whole thing I think about the museums is that she, she and others are curious about techniques. They're curious about how these these um, pieces are comprised. And, you know, whereas I know from being in art school, art classes and all that, you know, I'm constantly trying to look at pieces and getting a frame of reference for the artist and how the artist was inspired and the message that the artist was using or was trying to convey and the color schemes that were chosen and why were those color schemes chosen and what was the mood and and what do I feel and all of those things are still very important and they inspire me on a on a daily basis. But I I have as an artist myself and somebody that creates in many different mediums from three dimensional um, tactile clay pottery and glass fusing to two dimensional art with watercolor and um, and pencil and ink and all of that. Um, I, I tend to not look at much as much as at the technique because I'm very, I'm very much a believer that you hone your own art skills as you grow. And even though, yes, they're inspired by all of this other art that I see, um, I'm, I'm usually more interested in kind of understanding the inspiration. I, I feel like the, the inspiration and the message because art is so much about storytelling. And, um, and, and now that I see that she was embracing that, that sand and that rock and how it was put together. And, you know, I just, I, it, it kind of refreshes my interest in considering more about the technique. You know, when you, when you look at art on the walls at the museum and, and look at the, the cards that are beside them and, and they share what medium it is, um, and a little bit of a backstory sometimes to the artist or to the piece itself. You know, I, I tend to say, oh yeah, that's an oil and then move on to what does it mean? And why are the colors chosen? And why are they used in a certain way? And what's the composition and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, so that was kind of refreshing to me, but I do feel like being online and going to these museums is a wealth of experiences that we did not have in the past. 
And I constantly preach this to my students, both in the college sec sections where that, that I teach, as well as um, my art drilling classes and then people around me is that, you know, we've been in this pandemic for a year now and the opportunities that have come out of it, there's been a lot of, of negative, but the opportunities that have come out of it that are positive are astronomical. And I really don't think that we're going to go backwards from that, which I'm really excited. If I can go to my laptop and visit the Louvre and walk through some exhibits at my own pace and see the information, yes, I know it's not like walking in there on my own in person, but I do feel like I am expanding my mind with it. I feel like I am able to not only see pieces that I wouldn't have an opportunity to see but engage with other cultures and the way that they see these pieces and the way they present them. It's just fascinating to me. Um, I feel like, you know, a lot of times and I'm kind of strolling up here, so I don't, I don't kind of miss a lot of things that I, that I said in, in this interview, but um, you know, a lot of people, have thought of, I think that there's generalizations that go along with museums. I think people either look at them as maybe they're dry and stuffy, um, or at least in the old days, a lot of people would say, I don't want to go to a museum. You know, they're all, like, they all feel the same or something like that. And to me, they don't, they never have. But to some people, I've, I've heard that a, a great deal. And then other people think that it's, they're kind of like tourist attractions. You know, if you go into these big cities with these big museums and if you've ever seen pictures of the Mona Lisa actually in its space, it's small and there's people crowded all around it. I mean, it, you know, you're waiting hours just to get a glimpse of this little piece, um, which I'm sure I would do also, but it's, you know, some people think of it just as a tourist trap uh, or not a tourist trap, but a tourist event or tourist place. But you know, now museums are really working on engagement. And I had the privilege of working for the South Carolina State Museum over 30 years ago. And one of my favorite things about that museum was that it was so interactive and so engaging. And I remember walking several times a day from the main offices to where I was. I was the assistant store manager and the museum had just opened. I mean, it was brand new. I started working there in the offices when I was still in college, the first year that it opened. And then um, my first job out of college was, was there as well in, at, in, the, in the store. And um, I remember walking through the multi-levels of that museum and really feeling like I was transported into these times, into these locations around South Carolina and not just looking and seeing these pieces that were part of the low country or how they wove these sweet grass baskets or how some of the machinery was used in the tobacco fields or how Adlu flour was being, you know, the grain was being used and all of these things. And then the art, the visual art, the, the paintings and sculptures that went along with all of these things, but actually being able to imagine myself 
in these spaces because of these interactive exhibits inviting me in basically. And um, that's an experience I think that I will always cherish. And I think that it helped me grow so much at that age too. And we had gone back to visit the South Carolina Museum, South Carolina State Museum several times. And one in particular, when we had lived in upstate South Carolina, we took the kids down to see the Leonardo da Vinci uh, exhibit that was all about his um, his machines that he made. And uh, it what a fascinating, fascinating thing to look at and to be part of and to see some of them even working and set up as an interactive exhibit. So the children, our kids, you know, enjoyed that. And we just, you know, museums were just such a large part of our homeschooling adventures for 21 years that we homeschooled. And then also, again, with my career. And in between the South Carolina State Museum of working there over 30 years ago, and currently being a, a contract teacher with Pope Museum of Art, and I've taught with them for the last over six years now. I've done outreach for them. I've done, I've taught adult classes. I've taught children's classes. I've taught art labs. I've taught um, around the county as a representative of them. And and it's just, it, it has, it's such an imprint on me that I can share the fascinating world of art and studio art and particularly for them to engage with, for, for our community to engage with. But in between, I actually had been hired for two other art positions that I had to decline. One was, one I would have, we would have had to move um, several hours away and our family just had decided after, after I got offered the job. Um, that that's not something that they wanted to do, even though when I applied for the job and interviewed for the job, they were all gung-ho about it. They, they decided they didn't want to do it after I actually got the job. And then um, another job that was over um, in Tampa, and we it still would have been a long drive for me. And again, the family wasn't willing to move. So anyway, so two jobs in between those at, at the museums that I was really excited about. And they just, the universe had had a different message for me. But the one thing I've learned throughout museum life that I've been part of since I was four until now, I'm, I hate to say it, I'm 53. So I, it's almost 50 years is that the people that work in museums are passionate. They are passionate. And the one reason why I'm really, I'm on here really kind of encouraging people to jump online and do some virtual tours and engage with virtual events that they have. And you can even take classes now. How wonderful is that, that you can take classes from museums all around the world just from your laptop and be part of that. But it's that passion that these educators and these instructors and these the staff of these museums really have as their fuel. Because let's be honest, the pay isn't great. You know, the, the museum staff is very much like an educator in the schools. The, the pay is just not there. You're doing it because you're passionate about it. You're doing it because you feel like you are contributing to community, to society, to, um, to you know, to, to kind of interpreting, being a voice for people to understand more about the art world. And... Um, I, I really encourage everybody to kind of jump in, do some Google searches and just be curious about what you find out. 
it doesn't matter if you don't really know what you're looking for. You know, I've Googled before Japanese flowers and museum, and you're going to come up with this great, these great resources to go dive into and, and add the word virtual to that. And you will get all kinds of, of links and responses that you can go ahead and search. Um, you know, one of my favorite things recently that I did was in January, I believe it was, I took a class with an instructor from Paris and she, it, the class was offered through, uh, through Pope Museum of Art. The instructor happened to be uh, a colleague that I actually didn't know prior to this, but she taught at the Pope Museum of Art in person here in Lakeland, Florida, the same time that I taught. And we had classes that were going on actually the same night. So I, I think I only met her once or twice, but my daughter actually took her class in person here at the Pope Museum of Art. And my daughter took the class that was right before she, this instructor moved to Paris. And so now, lo and behold, several years later, this instructor is teaching a Pope Museum of Art class from her living room in her Paris apartment and turned her computer around even at one point and looked out the window to a little dot to show us the Eiffel Tower that was that was kind of far away from from her apartment, but she could still see a glimpse and it was and it was really exciting. But you know, technology and museums together offer us such a view into this world. Um, so I see a question now about how can artists show their work to exhibit in a museum? So that's a whole different ball game. Um, you know, to exhibit in a museum, you have to know what specifically each museum is looking for. And the missions for museums are very specific. So I know for um, like Pope Museum of Art, I've had this discussion with them for quite a while. Their mission does actually does not include showing local artists. I know I know that as far as specifically a local artist. Their mission, um, and I don't know their mission statement, statement specifically. You have to go on their website, but you need to go and talk with a representative from each museum and ask them what their requirements are. And usually, they're setting up ex exhibitions even two, three years ahead of time. And I, I do know several people that have had solo shows at our, at our Pope Museum of Art specifically. And it is because their art fits into the specific mission that the museum was looking, what it is all about and a specific um, type of collection that they're looking for at that time. So um, it's, you know, a lot of people think it's because you have to be at this master level. It's this, this, you know, the Van Gogh, the Monet and all that level. That's not actually it. Um, even though, of course, we would all love to be on that level. The different museums have different missions and a lot of museums are looking for something that, that tells a story. I know recently Pope Museum of Art had an exhibition. This was pre-COVID, it was about a year. I think it went on for several several months before, before COVID hit. And it was about this collection of artists that came together to highlight a specific aspect of nature 
that was um, brought into attention that it was a, a, and I wish I remember, I wish I had a better memory, Brain this, blame this on my brain surgery, but um, it was the mission of a preteen girl, I believe, who passed away and she had highlighted some parts of a natural, I want to say reserve, but I'm not sure it was a reserve, but there was a mission there. There was a story there. And so a group of artists got together and created art to honor this mission. And that collection was then shown at the Polk Museum of Art. And because it fit into the mission and the story that they were ready to tell at that time. So I, I know that's kind of a really ex, um, kind of open-ended response, but it's, it's not something that you can go to a website and write an email and say, oh, I want to submit my art for consideration. You really need to have a, make that first email about inquiring how, what their process is and how they go about deciding what their exhibitions are and, and that kind of thing. My, my um, tips and tricks are, first of all, get gallery representation. Go to a gallery and, or talk with um, a rep who actually places people into different galleries. And you can start out with small galleries. I've had my artwork shown in small galleries and um, I really never was on that path to go to museum, to show in a museum. I really never um, felt that, that desire to be shown in a museum because one of the things that I do know about, being, about showing in a museum usually is it is for artists that have spent um, a lot of time, a lot of their energy, a lot of their career focused on one style or maybe one medium and, and really um, elevating themselves to a top level in that medium. And I am a person that likes to do multiple things. I do art journaling and I do pottery and I do plant stained papers and all of those kinds of things. And so I never really have concentrated and focused on one medium um, besides plant stained papers for the point of developing that technique. But if you were to show in a gallery first, then have representatives from a museum see that gallery show or be able to do a video footage of the gallery show, then that adds clout to your resume as well. And also, um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to dive into um, areas of expertise that go along with your art itself. And, and let me clarify that a little bit. So um, if I were to, if, let me, if I were to um, want to do like a Georgia O'Keeffe exhibit of these larger, huge flowers, then and I want it to be realistic and I want it to be set in um, the story set in in the scene of where these flowers naturally grow or or, you know, um, any anything that's natural about them. Then I need to really educate myself about those flowers as well. 
I need to educate myself about that area. All of that in, may not be visually seen in your work, but it is part of the story of your work and that enriches your work to a whole different level. So, um, so I guess I would go back to a consistent collection, um, a collection that shows your style, a collection that creates a story or informs people uh, or informs your audience um, of meaning, you know, your and and whether they they receive your intended meaning or not is is not the point, right? We all interpret art in different ways. But there's more of a cohesiveness in a collection when an artist um, is coming from a place of meaning and substance and um, story. So I hope that kind of um, helps you. But yes, I would definitely do an inquiry to a museum. I would definitely start out with galleries and um, and art shows. You know, that's that's the biggest thing. You never know who goes to art shows. And one of the re ways that I was um, invited to show it at Disney, my, you know, the very first time that I was invited to show at Disney about six years ago was because a scout was out and saw me at an art show. And, um, you know, and that's, that's an area that like even for Disney and gosh, Disney is completely different than a museum, I realize. But um, Sometimes I feel like the like the red tape to get in is just as as much and there's not really a, a person to go and ask and say, hey, how can I do this? Um, so it's about putting feelers out there and really about showing your work. And um, elevating your work, you know, and being consistent. I know and you know, and I can I can also this is kind of going off the subject subjects of museum a little bit, but when I showed at art shows and I did art shows for 20 some years, I no longer do them anymore. They're, they're physically draining on me. But when I showed at art shows, I know that there were some shows that artists couldn't get into because um, they didn't show a consistent career at that, you know, before getting into them. And art, some art shows, some of the really high-end art shows are, are curated to a T. And you sometimes people have had to apply for four or five different years or different seasons of those art shows to even get accepted into the art show. So, um, it, you know, one of my things about art is that art is for everyone. I believe that everyone can create art and I believe everyone has the opportunity to observe art and be engaged with art. And, um, Museums allow us to do that in so many different ways, because even if so, I know for Pope Museum of Art, especially and I'm going to, you know, I, I love to pat them on the back and, and toot their horn is that not only do they show exhibitions and traveling exhibitions and they have permanent collections, but they also do student art shows for the county. Those are selected students that get to show there. And I believe it's once a year. I want to say it's at the end of each school year that they have the show. So that's a way to um, for patrons to actually see art from a child, you know, and, and isn't it, I think it's Picasso that says, um, you know, he spent four years learning how to paint like Rembrandt, but 
I think it was, I think I'm getting this quote wrong, but a lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. And um, I think it's important for us to look at, at students and their art because it's so unfiltered. It's so raw and real. And somewhere along the lines, we as adults lose that unbridled passion. And, um, you know, so one of the things I do love about Pope Museum of Art is that it has this student art show every year. And I think it reminds patrons and the audience to um, that creativity and artistic impression and expression, artistic expression is on many levels, a conversation that tends to grow within boundaries instead of instead of you would think as with art would grow without boundaries. And I think it's important for us to take those boundaries off. The other thing about, um, I'm glad Georgia, thank you. The other thing about museums is getting your work into their shops. And I have been fortunate to also have my art in um, museum shops, not just Museum of Art, but other shops. I've had both pottery and plant stained papers featured in different art, art museum shops. Um, and art, that's where a lot of the art museums can also highlight not just local artists, but artists that um, may not ever create a body of work that that is a collection that can be on the wall or set up on pillars and all of that. Um, also, mainly because a lot of us, us artists make a living by selling our art. And so obviously museum artists also make a living with their art and selling their art. But of course they have to have pieces that have been, usually it's pieces that have been, well, I shouldn't say usually, but a lot of times it's pieces that have been sold to private collectors and then those collectors lend those pieces out to the museums as well. So that's something too different. But you but remember that, you know, as an artist, I mean, this is, I, I am 100% full-time artist. So my income is based on what I sell and what I teach. Um, and up until a year ago, I mean, I've taught art journaling every year for almost 20, or every week, almost every week for 25 years, 30 years. But up until really a year ago, besides that one or two classes a night, a week, I was dependent upon the sale of my artwork. And because of physical limitations, I've now um, transitioned into more teaching and less production. And but putting your pieces, getting your pieces into a shop at a museum is very much an honor and i can i you know most of the managers of stores that i know of try to fill their shops with specific products specific art specific collections that coordinate with the art that is featured in the museum and they also are looking months ahead years ahead for art to sell in the shop that go along with future exhibitions and future events. It's all an intertwined little web, big web, I guess I should say. And um, 
I, I really applaud these smaller museums, especially like Pope Museum of Art, because they tend to have smaller collections in their shop and they tend to curate those collections really well, really well. You know, they don't have a lot of space to waste. They don't have um, a lot of money to buy inventory that is going to just sit on the shelves. Uh, I know most artists like myself, when we, the art shops that I have been involved with, my art has been in there on a consignment type of a basis. So I'm only getting paid when something sells and um, which is which is really a nice way of doing it, because then the museum shop doesn't have to invest as much into their inventory and they can feature uh, a rotating collection of artists as well. And um, and that's a really nice, nice thing. And, you know, I, I, I applaud these museums because it's really a challenge to stay afloat. And they depend not only on their patrons that are walking through the doors, but they depend on their donors and their sponsors. And Pope Museum of Art has fabulous sponsors that underwrite the admission fees so that we have free admission to the museum so anybody can come in. Um, but of course, especially during COVID, a lot of these companies are being hurt financially in, in multiple ways. And, you know, it's, it's hard for some of these companies to continue to underwrite museums in times like this. So, um, you know, so I really applaud the fact that I know the staff at Art at Pope Museum of Art have done a great job, have lost sleep many, many nights, weeks, months over this, but have done a great job in, in figuring out how to bring the audience into their virtual world during this time. And, um, you know, and, and, and the thing is, and I said, it's fueled by passion. It truly is. I mean, as a, as one of their contract teachers, you know, we, several of us, on a volunteer basis, led some art camp, virtual art camps last summer so that they could sell these art kits to students to do at home. And then our videos would, um, we didn't do full classes on the videos, but we did demonstrations and all that to kind of encourage the students to use what came in their kit to be creative and, and, and personal to them. So, you know, we're just so passionate about making sure that our museum is successful. And those kinds of programs, the, the kits were sold and there were certain scholarships, certain amount of scholarships for them. But those kind of programs helped to see the sponsors and the underwriters see that efforts were being made and we were still engaging the community and we were still getting people to come in and and, um, you know, when you get involved with museums on any level, you really find a place in your heart for wanting to do whatever you can for them to succeed. Like I have a student and a friend, she's a great friend. She's a confidant of mine and she's an advisor of mine and she's, she's taken 
a gazillion of my classes that I've taught at the museum over the years. And she will get on Facebook and she will get on other social media platforms and she will um, not just share the posts from the museums about the classes, but she will do a testimonial about taking classes at the museum and especially about the teachers. I know a lot of people take my classes because I'm the one teaching it. I know that I don't, I don't want that to sound like there's a chip on my shoulder, but you know, some people don't know anything about the art. Of course, they want to learn about the art, but, but they're kind of hesitant. But you know, if it's students that I've had in the past, they're more willing to take those classes because I'm teaching it and they know me. I, I, again, not a chip on my shoulder. It's that I become this comfort to them, this invitation to them. And I know that there's, you know, all the other teachers at the Pope Museum of Art are the same way. We have students that come and take our classes because we're familiar to them. And it's less intimidating when you can walk into a museum and take a class and not and and be comfortable because you know the instructor. So I think that's a big part of our passion too and wanting this museum wanting our museums to succeed is that we know the impact that we have on the community that is not only our student community but our community at large. So I think that's that's really important. Um, you know, one of the questions that kind of came in into the question, you know, is how how does the museum cater to different audiences? And I think one of it, one of that those answers is that um, we feel an obligation to be the the guide in these conversations between art and the community. And we know how much art impacts our daily lives and we know how much art elevates our daily lives and that doesn't mean you have to sit down and paint every day or sculpt every day or do some, or look at a piece of art every day that means you can sit around your space and observe things that possibly you didn't observe before details in fabrics um the way a flower is coming together that it it blooms from the center and when you when you really look at it you look at the the little nooks and crannies but be, be, between each center of a flower a peacock feather and how the colors of each fine little individual hair comes together to make this beautiful image this beautiful design that we all recognize as a feather that belongs to a peacock so even though we're not processing that in our brains to that full conscious conscious discussion it's going on in our brains and we are more aware because we are exposed to the arts and you know obviously studio art when we can when we can engage in creating art helps us physically and mentally. It helps our fine motor skills. It helps our gross motor skills. It, it helps us in every way. But just being involved with art helps our higher level thinking skills, our critical thinking skills, creative thinking skills, problem solving thinking skills. And so that is where my career as a teacher 30 years ago started was that I, I was on a mission. I made it my mission to teach through higher level thinking skills and to do that via art. And I've been pretty successful so far. 
So I had a, a um, administrator years ago um, at one of the schools I taught at in South Carolina that told me, you know, everybody, a lot of teachers teach to the, to the basic levels of knowledge, um, description, and, you know, because, because we have to, I mean, because that's, you know, that's what's on test and that's how it's easier. It's, I don't want to say easy because it's lack of effort. It's just easier because you are approaching a class of so many different abilities and so many different modes of, of learning styles that um, teaching knowledge-based curriculum is the way that everybody can learn. And that's why I got out of teaching is because teach out of teaching in the schools in the elementary and middle and high schools that I've taught it because it became so much more about testing than about learning. And mine is about learning. And I had my administrator always said, you know, you're teaching higher level thinking skills. You're teaching how students how to connect with those, those um, elements of their thinking that they possess, but often are not used and they don't know how to use them. And she said over and over again, you know, people can pick up knowledge just by picking up a book. These days, people can pick up knowledge by going to the computer and, and we don't remember a lot because we know we have it at our fingertips. But teaching people how to think and how to use higher level thinking skills of problem solving, critical thinking, creative, all of that, analysis, um, synthesizing, you know, all of those things you have to have opportunity to experience and to learn how to use those things. And I think art does all of that in even without a guide a lot of times even walking through the walls of the even walking through the halls of a museum the galleries of a museum whether in person or virtually you are inspired to kind of open the door to maybe some thinking that you haven't you haven't done before and the last thing, and I'm going to leave this on there be, or as, as my last point, because um, I feel like the other thing that art does is allow, and this is what I do with art journaling. So this is the, I guess this is the connection between the museum and art journaling, um, because I am so passionate about art journaling and that that is, I've done that, like I said, for over 25 years, I've taught art journaling. I've always been passionate about it. And I it, it had taken the back burner for years when I was at Disney and when I was developing my plant staining and I owned my, you know, just different things. And, and now I'm so happy to um, be doing more than just teaching once a week, like I was doing for years, teaching art journaling once a week. But um, we're, you know, art is about connecting with your inner, your inner self, your, your muse, if you will, your muse within. Um, it is about unearthing expressions and a voice that possibly you didn't give, you didn't shine any light on before, or you weren't comfortable having a conversation between you and your inner self. And I talk about this in art journaling a lot. And 
art at a museum also invites that conversation. When you are standing and looking at a piece or a sculpture, uh, a, a piece on the wall, a three-dimensional sculpture, um, uh, an exhibit of whatever size, even a performance piece, you cannot help but internalize different thoughts that are going on. And something brings up a memory. That's that's the trigger. You get these little triggers, whether they're, they're sounds or they're you see something in an, in a in a piece, or if it's an interactive exhibit, you touch something. So through all of these senses, you you are able to, you know, maybe trigger something, and maybe sometimes it triggers something that isn't so welcoming to bring back, but you're triggering it now within a filter of what you're experiencing at the moment, and it's so funny because almost. You know, every art journaling class that I've taught, um, I feel like that is how people look at it. And I've had so many people say to me, you know, this was perfect for what I'm going, going through right now. This art journaling class is perfect for what I'm going through right now. We could be painting a giraffe in a car, which we're, we don't. <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. Um, but let's say somehow you have a giraffe in a car. For some reason, that triggers an emotion in somebody and it's what they needed right then. I mean, you know, mostly we're talking about um, gratitude and um, uh, what else? I can't, I, I draw such a blank because I'm so focused on this month. So I guess let's just do focus this month. This month is all about cultural explorations. Last month was about love, but not romantic love. It was about loving yourself and finding ways to show that love to yourself throughout throughout your days. And January was about um, winter and about the different emotions and the different experiences that we have in winter, regardless of where you live. Because I have people from you know different parts of the world that now that are taking my classes online. And and it doesn't it never ceases to amaze me when somebody emails me after and says, you know what? I don't know how you knew this, but this is this is exactly what's going on in my life right now. And this was what I needed for clarity, you know, and my response always is about, you know, I'm so I'm so thankful that it was able to reach you that way, that you were able to have these conversations. And what happens is whatever I present, of course, each student is looking through looking at it through their own filter. They're looking at it through their own experiences. And especially with cultural explorations this this month, I'm so excited for we're not doing the things that I normally gravitate to, which is we're not we're not exploring France in art journaling. We're not exploring Italy. We're not exploring Spain. Those are the ones that I usually gravitate to and I pull those in at different times of the year anyways. And they're my favorites, but we're exploring different places and what they have to offer as far as the art, art world and inspiration for, for us as artists and inspiration for us as humans. That's the key is that I teach our journaling, not that I am trying to inspire people to become better artists at the end of it, which they do, that happens, but because I'm inspiring the journey to get wherever they want to go in life. These are adventures. 
And so museums do the same thing. When you're looking at a piece, you could have 10 people on either side of you looking at that same piece. And everyone is going to have a different type of response because they're looking at it through their own filter and their own experiences. So I do equate museums with art journaling class and um, I am so inspired by the experiences that I had. I mean, we came back from, you know, our, our visit to the Dolly a couple weeks ago and the following our journaling classes on those Monday, that Monday and Tuesday nights right after, uh, I of course did a topic that was based on the Van Gogh exhibit, but I don't ever, I don't ever copy the masters. That's not the kind of teacher I am. I know that a lot of teachers go in and they have these these paintings of the masters out in front and you have to do your own rendition of it. And that. No, we didn't do that. We were inspired by it. Um, and we did have this connection in a way um, that we did use a starry night as inspiration, but we altered so many things and, and actually had it had it be based, I don't know, it was just, it's hard to explain. It's one of those things I want to say you had to be there in art journaling. Um, but that's how I feel we can experience art and specifically art journaling within the realm of our own world and how we can embrace art on a daily basis and how we have wellness through art without realizing it, you know? And there's a ton of um, information out there about the connection between art and, and mental wellness and, and all of, you know, those wonderful things. And um, when I get my blog back up, hopefully soon, that's one of my main topics that I'm working on to publish, but um, I, Right now, I would say, obviously, I invite you to take some of my art journaling classes. We do the weekly live online every Monday or Tuesday night, and you can jump between the nights whenever you need to. That works better for you each week. And there's a recording of the class that you can get at the, that you automatically get at the end of the week in case you miss something or you want to go back to something or, or you can't come to class for whatever reason that week. But um, also my other art classes online, you know, I, I feel like that's how I teach and it's inspired by this idea that you can have these moments with art or with life that are filtered by your view in that moment. And the way to have a conversation about that with yourself comes out in art, comes out in art journaling. And it doesn't matter if you consider yourself a good artist or not, we never, ever, ever talk about good art, the words good art versus the words bad art. I, I don't think of, I don't think there is even such a thing because art is an expression. So we don't, I don't ever use those terms regardless of who I'm teaching. Um, 
But this journey, this adventure, whether it's an art journaling or virtually exploring museums online or walking into your local museum, if they're open right now and, and Polk Museum of Art is actually open too. If you're in the local Lakeland area, you have to make reservations, you have to make an appointment to go, but it is opened. Um, I think it becomes this point of a conversation starter and within yourself. And I think that that is something that we can all enjoy and use in other aspects of our lives. So, okay. So I know I kind of got off a little bit. I knew I would go on my soapbox. I wanted to talk about museums, but I'm so passionate about them. And I'm so passionate about art. I'm so passionate about art journaling kind of all comes in together. And um, I just, I, I implore all of you, wherever you live, across the globe to look up a museum or two or a hundred and go to their websites, um, see what they have virtually available for you to do. And, you know, the other thing I always tell people is drop an email, you know, drop an email to these people. They're usually a contact form on the website, you know, tell them how much you enjoyed what they did, that they put this out there for you to enjoy from far away. And um, really, you know, really give them a little bit of appreciation and praise or a lot of appreciation and praise because the passion that goes into providing these experiences for everybody um, is a lot of passion. Like I said, it fuels the energy. It is the energy that fuels these programs uh, and it's, and it's more than a paycheck for these people, you know, and it, I know for me, cause I know what I do. Um, and somebody put a great, I, like I work a hundred hours a week, so I don't have to work 40 hours for somebody else. <laughs> and, um, I really, I really feel like what I try to do and inspire others is what my calling is. And the people that work for museums, that's their calling. And so if you can just give them a little pat on their back, that would definitely be appreciated. And isn't it fun to think that within five minutes, you can Google a museum in Sweden, go on there, see a virtual tour, write an email to either the education department or the main museum as a whole, thank them for offering this for you. And you're sitting comfortably in your home in warmth. I'm in sunshine because I'm in central Florida, but you're, if you're somewhere where it snows, you're in warmth and enjoying this. And, um, and these people put this together for us so that we can connect with art because of how vitally important it is for our mental health, our mental growth, and our well-being. So there you go. Um, I thank you all for either watching or listening. And um, remember, you can go and find out more about me on RochelleEason.com. You can find out about my weekly art journaling classes. A new month actually starts tonight on Monday, or it starts tomorrow for Tuesday. 
and you can find out more about that. Those are weekly live online art journaling classes. And then I also have, like I said, I have some art journaling archives that are video classes that are on my website, as well as courses, mini courses and immersion courses. And then um, to, to get a taste, you can go to my YouTube channel. It's Rochelle Eason. I believe it's Rochelle Eason. It might be Rochelle Eason Artist. Um, let's see. Yes, it's Rochelle Eason Artist is actually what it is. And I do have some, uh, I think a few different free classes on there as well, or free videos that are tutorials. And so you can, um, you can, you can find me all kinds of places. Again, Instagram, Rochelle underscore Eason underscore artist. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And I would, I would love to hear from you. So um, go ahead and join my, my email list on my website and you can, we can communicate back and forth. So Thanks so much. Have a fabulous week. And I hope you find a way to enjoy art every day. Thanks.